Well, good morning, Fellowship family. I want to invite you to stand with us as we proclaim the greatness of our God together this morning. my 
seated. Hey Fellowship, our family ministries would like to invite all children and students to join us on Sunday mornings for our worship and small group experiences. Fellowship Kids and Fellowship Student Ministries have so much to offer. Our hope is to come alongside families to help raise up the next generation of Christ followers. We have fun, community, and connection every Sunday morning on our Rogers campus at both the 9 and 10.30 services. We would love to have you, and we look forward to seeing your children and students grow into world-changing followers of Jesus. So come join us. If you'd like to know more about our ministries and how to get involved, visit the information booth in the foyer. Who is thankful that from birth through high school that we have some incredible children's and student ministry staff who partner with your families? Raise your hand if you're thankful. I have kids that are moving into that world. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and I have a 5-year-old, and I'm so thankful that we get to partner together, because it's a true partnership, amen? To raise kids in this culture to follow Jesus, how many people do we need? It's the whole village, right? So as a church, we're family, and we do this together. We're not alone, and that's a huge deal. And I want to tell you that not only from birth to high school do we want to partner with you, but we also, I'm going to do a quick plug, here we go, for something not on my script. This is when people get scared and nervous, <laughs> off script. Right after this, if you would say that you identify as someone who's in the more seasoned life, you've lived some life, you're a little bit more mature than me, little bit. A lot more mature than me, and you would say that you're in the senior category. I want to remind you, so you don't forget, right after this, we care that you belong, we care that you grow, and we care that you serve at our church. So if you would, right after this service, the Legacy Worship Service is happening right over there in the Family Center. I promised Barbie Lay that I would try to say that. So if you would like to go to Legacy, go right after this service, okay? We want to partner with you in ministry. But right now, we get to have a fun, special time. I am someone who, last night, I got to officiate a wedding. And when you officiate a wedding, it's a big deal that you tell them there's two things that are gonna help this couple as they start a new chapter. One, God is with you. Two, everyone in here, your friends, your family that you invited, they need to be with you through the great times of celebration and they need to take your phone call when it's hard. Amen? For marriage to work, God is with you, your community is with you. For being a parent, God is with you, and our church is with you. That should give you great confidence. And we also have this really incredible power. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And so today, we get to celebrate as a church. We're in this together. The same way we do baptisms, we're gonna ask you as the church, their family, to say that you're with us. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to tell babies that you are gonna be with them? Babies all the way up through, we have some five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Are you gonna tell their parents we're in this together to follow Jesus with you? Y'all ready? I get to bring up someone who I love working with, Robin Yates. 
And Robin lives this. I'm just going to read our fellowship kids, our mission. Our mission is to help families own the spiritual development of the next generation. Robin does a great job modeling that for us. So I love being your teammate. If you could bring up these families, and we as a church are excited to partner. Yeah. This is one of our favorite times we get to do. And you'll notice we've had a lot of families lately, so we've gotten to do it a little more often. Um, But this morning in this service, we have two families and a bunch of kids. So I'm going to start with the Jenkins family and bring them up. They have, that we're dedicating today, Maggie Justice, um, Savannah Mercy, Malia Truth, Zion Barak, and you'll notice they have some siblings with them today too. So Trinity, Gracie, Levi, and Amelia are their siblings. So we, we ask families at Dedication to write just a little anecdote for us to help you know a little bit about them. And so I'm going to read to you what the Jenkins have written The circumstances that led to these four beautiful children being brought into our home were not beautiful. But what is beautiful is the hope and redemptive healing that we have in Jesus Christ. Our greatest joy as parents has been watching the relationships in our home grow between children who may never have met otherwise, but are now fiercely loyal and loving to each other. Our prayer for all of our children is that they take the love and care that they experience and carry it out into the world, always looking for ways to show Christ's love to others. So we're going to pray that with them today as well. And I want to invite up Landry Claire Jernigan, her big sister Logan, mom and dad Corey and Aaron. It actually, to me, feels not that long ago since we were dedicating Logan. <laughs> so, and now we have little sister. So they say Landry brings so much joy to our family, more than we ever thought possible. She's truly a gift from God who we are forever grateful for. We love and adore her. Landry has been into trying foods, crawling, and belly laughs with her big sister, Lo. And she's got a great smile, too. So, <laughs> so Simon, you want to? Yeah, and just like she said, uh, we have two families. But with these two families, we could start a whole student ministry. <laughs> it's amazing. And this is the future. Like, this is the future of our church. And we get to be a part of it right now. So, I would love to ask the parents first, and then I'm gonna ask you guys um, to say that you're with us in the journey. So, Jenkins family, Jernigan family, parents, I just wanna ask you a couple questions. Will you commit to put your foundation in the foundation, that the only foundation that's a rock, which is the words of God, and to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others sacrificially. Also, would you promise to place your identity 
and model this for your kids, that your identity is on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Will you please partner with our church, partner with our people, your family, to plant seeds of the gospel, to water those seeds, but trust fully that God will make them grow. And lastly, will you pray continually for your kids to do what I heard the Jenkins say, the same love that we've been showed, we want our kids to show it to this church, Fellowship Bible Church and Rogers Community, Springdale, Northwest Arkansas, the world. Okay. All that said, we raise your family with a godly foundation and to love others. We model that for them. If yes, just say we will. We will. I believe you. Church, do you commit to do whatever it takes to find opportunities to love these two families, to plant seeds of the gospel any moment you get, to water the seeds and help these families disciple their kids, and to trust God in the way you trust God as you pray. You see names on this screen and you pray that they believe the gospel and that they will love others and that they will change the heart of Northwest Arkansas and the world. If you're in on raising the future, our future student ministry is sitting right here, standing right here. Who's in? Say, we will. I believe you. You're at a good church. You're at a great church. I believe these people. So with that said, let's pray. And when I pray, I want you guys joining me, okay? I don't wanna be up here just praying a prayer. I wanna feel all the prayers that you guys are praying with me, okay? All right, everybody, let's pray for these families. Maggie Justice, I'm gonna pray for you. He has told you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? We pray that. We pray that that would be your future. Savannah. I'm gonna pray. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger. He is great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. We pray that for you and your future. Malia, I'm gonna pray. Guide Malia in all truth and teach her for you are her God and her Savior, and her hope is in you for all her days. We pray that she believes it 100%. Zion, we pray for you, man. Blessed is the one. This is my brother in Christ. I pray that blessed is the one, Zion, that he would persevere under any trial, any test that comes in front of him that people like Zion will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to him because he loves Jesus. Pray that for you, Zion. And I believe that those prayers will come true. Landry, you don't know this, but you're the future of our church. 
I pray that you would believe this, that every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I believe that all the prayers we pray today are going to become true. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you can join us by standing and singing out this hymn with us this morning, that the Lord would be our vision, be our heart.
singing it. Come thou found every blessing to my heart to
Church, you can be seated. You know, I, I think that most of us in the room could acknowledge this, that we just didn't, don't enjoy waiting, whether that's at a, a traffic light on the other end of, uh, of the line when we're waiting for someone, in the checkout lane. We just don't enjoy waiting. We're not good at it. But Paul David Tripp says that it's the calling of every believer to wait, but not the kind of waiting that we do in the dentist's office or the doctor, or we're passively just thumbing through magazines that we would normally never pick up. No, it's, it's the kind of active posture, hopeful anticipation, confident, the reality of the, the already, but not yet, the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he will return just as he said that he would. And when we dwell in that, we sit in that every day, every morning we wake up, we say, Lord, come quickly. That reorients our whole perspective on eternity. And the, the small moments and the big moments in life, they find their place in light of the fact that he is coming back as he said he would. And a few years ago, the worship team here at Fellowship, we took a retreat in Oklahoma for the purpose of songwriting, and we were studying the book of Revelation. And uh, our very own Pat Anderson, he wrote this next song with the help of some others. And this song is an echo of the Lord's prayer. And we're going to reorient our lives, fix our eyes on Jesus, because when we do, we see clearly the path that we're to walk with him. That this is not all there is. Our work, our play, our conversations, our relationships, they all have meaning in light of eternity. And so my prayer is that you would join in, listen, let the words touch your soul, and then join in and sing it with us because it's a very singable song. So I hope you're blessed by it.
as it is in heaven Your kingdom come to reign upon the earth The battle is won and we praise your name forever Your kingdom come in us, you will be done today that you would open our minds and hearts and soften them so we can receive your word with gladness, thanksgiving, and live it out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. We are continuing our study today in the book of Daniel. We are in chapter 10 through 12, 
Uh, I think we're in the sixth week of our study. We're in chapters 10 through 12, and um, hopefully it'll be a great morning. You know, when I was thinking about the study this morning, this is, uh, it's gonna be a difficult passage. And when you look at the, the text, chapters 10 through 12, it's a very difficult text. Matter of fact, Alistair Begg, um, the Scottish-born theologian and pastor, one of my favorite, says this about the text. It's one of the, the hardest to interpret in all of the scriptures of this passage of Daniel. So I was wondering to myself, how did I end up teaching this? I mean, you got the guy who didn't graduate seminary till his 40s, he struggles a little bit with a learning disability, and, and I'm thinking, okay, how did Dr. Hannon not end up with this passage? He's got his doctorate in preaching, or a Dr. Cup who has more degrees than a thermometer, and he's over in the training center teaching a class right now. How did they not end up teaching this passage? But then the answer, the Lord gave me with his just graciousness gave me the answer a couple weeks ago. I was actually sitting in this room. Uh, Sam was teaching, and the title of the sermon was, God Humbles the Proud. And maybe Sam just needed that message <laughs> to teach. No, actually, I brought something for you this morning. Um, I brought my Dallas Theological Seminary education, and I thought I'd just put it out here for you in case during the sermon you needed a reminder that I am qualified. These other guys aren't up here, so I'll just let you look at that. Maybe the, you online can see it and just watch that. No, actually, probably what needs to happen here is I need to turn that around, and as I'm teaching this morning, I'll look at it and be reminded of that I am qualified to teach this. But listen, we've got a great study for you this morning. Chapters 10 through 12 in the book of Daniel is one of the most powerful um, texts of scripture. It's just powerful, and we're gonna look at it. If you look at, uh, the, I think I've got an outline for you. Um, chapter 10 basically is a, is a disturbing vision. Daniel has this incredibly disturbing vision. And it's bothersome to him. It's about a conflict and a war. And then it goes to chapter 11 and the details of the conflict come out. There's a near future revelation of the conflict. And then there's a far future revelation. And it's pretty powerful. And then in chapter 12, we see this, this idea of eternal destiny. You see, the enemy, he tries to lie to you. And the lie he tells every human being is this, that you, you come from nothingness, you are nothing, and you're headed towards nothing. And it's a lie. It's a total lie because as you were created, you were created by God, you were intricately woven together in your mother's womb. Amen? You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created to live this life with a calling God's hat on your life, and you're headed towards everlasting eternity, that you'll, you'll last forever. But the enemy tries to discourage us. That's the lie he tells us. And so we're gonna see a disturbing vision. We're gonna see an earthly reality involving much conflict, and we're gonna see an eternal destiny. Here's the big idea this morning. Spiritual forces are at work all around us. Much is unseen. Earthly kingdoms will rise and fall, but God is sovereign over all. And that's what we're gonna see from the text this morning. Turn, me, if you, 
Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. We're going to begin our study in verse 1, and we're going to look at a very disturbing vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. That's his Babylonian name. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war or great conflict. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. So the setting was Cyrus was now the, the king of Persia. Probably m- many of the uh, exiles had returned to Israel because he allowed them to do that. And um, the, the, uh, the text uh, tells us that they were, probably, they were probably rebuilding the temple at this time. Actually, the text doesn't tell us that, but they were probably rebuilding the temple at the time. They were probably reinstituted the sacrifices. But there's some opposition going on to the exiles returning. And maybe that's the reason for Daniel's prayer. We don't really know, but a vision came to him that disturbed him greatly, and he mourned for three weeks. The content of the vision was a great war. The result of the vision that Daniel mourned, he fasted and he prayed. One theologian says this, the revelation in the vision given to Daniel on this occasion shattered any hope that the prophet might have had of Israel enjoying her new freedom and peace for long. See, it was devastating. Daniel happened to be at the Tigris River when the vision came. He was with some other people, probably other God-fearing Jews, and we see the figure everyone else was so afraid they hid themselves. Look at verse seven with me. He says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it because such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So everyone else was jumping in the ditches. There was something going on that was so scary, so powerful that Daniel's the only one was left there looking at it. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face hit the ground. So who was this heavenly visitor? Some think it's the pre-incarnate son of God. Others think it's an angel. We don't really know for sure. Some even say maybe there's a couple different, um, maybe it's a son of God and then an angel or something like that, maybe, or the opposite, but it, there's some discussion about this. But then we, he continues in verse 12. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is an interesting passage, isn't it? You see, the the angel tells Daniel that, hey, your prayer was heard immediately when you started praying. Isn't that interesting? But he tells him that, hey, I was detained. I was delayed until some help came for me. You see, this is not an earthly happening. This is a heavenly happening. There's something going on here. This heavenly messenger was detained. Matter of fact, verse 13 It's probably one of the strangest verses in the Bible. 
but we get lots of uh, comfort from the previous part because it tells us that our, our prayers are heard immediately. And sometimes when they're delayed, there may be something more going on. But look at verse 13 again. But the prince of the pr- Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. You see, there was a spiritual battle going on. In my demented humor, I'm imagining this spiritual headlock. That the prince of Persia, this, this enemy demon or something, has, the, has the, they're just wrestling. And then Michael comes and relieves him. He says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. What we learn from this passage is there is an unseen world of spiritual beings, of spiritual forces happening all around us. As a matter of fact, I'll say this, just my own opinion. I think that the, the spiritual world is much more powerful than our, the evident world. But if you think the, the, the powerful nations of China and Russia and even the United States are the most powerful thing going on in the world, you're mistaken because what is unseen, I think may be more powerful than what is seen. And there's lots going on in the unseen world. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. You see, there's, there's good powers or beings, and there's bad powers and beings. The good we call angels. The bad we refer to as demons. And there's a, there's a battle going on with each other. Then Michael, who's called one of the chief princes, in the book of Jude, he's actually referred to as the archangel, so he's a powerful angel, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. I think two verses could be really helpful in this that come from the New Testament. And if you're taking, uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first one is Ephesians 6.12, and it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, there's something going on that we can't see. There's rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, and that's who our flesh and blood, that's who our our struggle is against. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you need to recognize that if you're a believer in Christ. That there's, there's something usually more going on to the situation. That if there's someone you don't get along with, if there's a neighbor who just consistently seems to not like that you're a believer or you're a Christian, there's something more going on behind the scenes. Your struggle is not against them. Your struggle is against them. There's something more going on in the world. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? See, not only are there spiritual things going on that we don't totally understand, that there's powerful things going on in the unseen world, but, but the one who is in you is more powerful than the one who is in the world. For those who believe in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God living in you. And the one who lives in you is more powerful than anything you will encounter in this world. And you need to remember that. And you need to remember that as an election season approaches. And as Christians, when your candidate maybe doesn't win, we shouldn't lose our minds. 
right? Or even more importantly, our witness. Because the one who is in you is more powerful than the one who's in the world. And, and kingdoms, they'll rise and fall. Leaders will rise and fall. But God is sovereign over all. Hey, in addition to the disturbing vision, we see here, actually look at verse 14. He, he gives them the purpose of the vision. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. So the angel tells Daniel, this heavenly messenger tells Daniel, hey, here's the purpose of the vision so that you will know and the people in the future will know that this vision concerns a time yet to come. And the vision, it's disturbing. And there's a near future part of it. So he's literally, what he's gonna do is he's gonna tell Daniel some very specific events that's gonna happen in history right after Daniel is living. Hey, here's what's gonna happen. King, king, king. This king's gonna wrestle with this king. It's gonna go on. But then there's also a far future spiritual events going on. And for those of us living in the church age, it's kind of like we're living here and we see Daniel in the past and we see some of the revelations that are going on in, in history that we can kind of look at. And we've got a better view at because they've actually happened. But then there's this other piece of the vision that's still in the future for us. And it's interesting because some of the events come up to the time of the first advent of Christ and some of the events come up to the second advent of Christ. It's a very powerful revelation we looked at the disturbing nature of the dream. Now we're gonna look at the earthly conflict or the earthly reality of the dream. Moving from the disturbing nature of the vision to the details of chapter 11, this earthly reality. And the messenger angel speaks initially about four kings of Persia. And we're not really gonna look at them, but a very detailed um, description of these four kings of Persia. And for Daniel, this would be prophecy in the near future, but for us, it would be history. In verse three, he speaks of the earthly empire, the earthly Greek empire of Alexander the Great. Look at this. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. So if you paid attention in school, you would have, you would have known who Alexander the Great is. I think I've got an iPhone pic of him. I think. There it is. That's not a picture. It's a mosaic. But he was, he was incredibly powerful. He, his, his, um, his empire dominated the world. I think I've got a, a uh, map of how large his empire was. He was powerful. He, he led incredibly well. He showed us what was going on, how powerful he was. He says, then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. His name was Alexander the Great. And then in verse four, you see this. After he has arisen, so after he died, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Isn't it interesting how detailed these prophecies are? This is like nothing else in the scripture. These, these detailed prophecies about exactly what will happen to Daniel in, in, 
in history, what we see in, as historic events in the past now, they're detailed things. And it's true, uh, Alexander the Great's empire was divided to his four generals. It wasn't given to his family. It was given to his four generals. And two of those generals are, are of particular importance to us. Not necessarily to history in general, but to us. I think I've got a map as his empire was d- divided up. It was divided up to four empires, and two of those are really important to us, the yellow one and the red one. The yellow one is the Seleucid Empire, and, and it was, you see kind of Mesopotamia, Syria, it's just, it's pretty massive in and of itself, and the, uh, the uh, one in the south is the Ptolemaic Empire, and you're kind of like, John, why are you telling me this stuff? Well, because why do you think those two empires are important? Look what's in the middle, Israel. God's people. And so over and over in this chapter, the, 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 the uh, angel's talking about the king of the north will battle the king of the south. And there's all these kings and king after king after king, and they battle against each other. But here we come to one king who seems to be really important to the Jewish people, but not that important to history in general. And I want you to know who this is. His name is Antiochus or Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. So there were eight kings before him in the Seleucid Empire, and he was known as one of the kings of the north, and he's particularly important to God's people, the Jews. Look at verse 21 of chapter 11. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. You see, this Antiochus, he grabs a hold of the throne. He uses intrigue. He, he kind of convinces everybody that he should be the king. It was actually due to somebody else, but they, they weren't around at the time. They were in a Roman prison. So he kind of he talks his way into the throne. He will invade the kingdom with its people feeling secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. You see, he's of a particular importance because he does something very wrong to God's temple and God's people. And as king of the north, after a particular frustrating battle with the king of the south, um, the Ptolemaic Empire, with its in modern day Egypt, he's on his way back to the north and he stops in Israel. And he had, he had been through there before. He'd done some pretty atrocious things before, but he and his army kill 80,000 people. And they take God's temple and they desecrate it. The, the text tells us this in verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and, it, and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. This is one of the most tragic times for the Jewish people that someone comes in, they conquer the temple, and not only that, they desecrate the temple. This Antiochus Epiphanes, the madman, he, he, it's interesting, he's, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. He has called himself the, and I think it means um, almighty one or um, gracious one. And the, the Jewish people called him Antiochus Epimenes, which meant madman. You see, they hated him. And so what he does with his armed forces, he desecrates the temple. He abolishes the daily sacrifice. He sets up this thing called the abomination of desolation. Have you heard about that before? Have you ever been reading through the New Testament? You've, talked to, you've seen Jesus talk about it? What he does in this abomination of desolation is he sets up 
uh, a worship of another god. It's probably the Olympian Zeus. So the, he probably set up an altar to Zeus. It probably was uh, uh, sacrifices of swine, which would have been the most unholy meat for the Jewish people. He does the abomination that causes desolation. That has to be incredibly discouraging to the Jewish people. He persecutes and murders thousands upon thousands of Jewish people. And look at verse 32. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Now, something really interesting happens here. If you know a lot about Christian uh, history, there's a group of people called the Maccabeans. You may have heard something about them in, uh, over time. Well, this is the time of the Maccabeans. They're the ones who firmly resisted Antiochus, and there's no reason they should have won this battle with him. But they kind of start to attack, and they're, they're really crafty with their attacks, and they regain Jerusalem. They regain control of the temple. They firmly resist him. And on December 14th, 164 BC, they reinstitute the temple sacrifices. And what's interesting today is this is a Jewish holiday that's still celebrated today. Do you know what holiday it is? Hanukkah, right. It's Hanukkah. It's the menorah. It's the, the Jewish people's incredibly important holiday because it's when the, the temple, the desolation that causes, it, 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 it's when the, the, the temple sacrifices were reinstituted. It's so important to them. And when they celebrate Hanukkah, they, rem, they tell stories of, of families that, that showed incredible faithfulness in the, in the midst of powerful persecution. And I think for Christians, for us today, it can be quite a testimony standing firm in the time of very hard times. Jesus speaks of this abomination that causes desolation in Matthew 24. He says this, so when you see the standing in the holy place, this abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, Jesus seems to be speaking about what happened in, in, in after Daniel's day that was predicted to Daniel, but he also seems to be speaking of a, a future time, doesn't he? This, that this abomination of desolation that happened with Antiochus, but it also is going to happen in the future. And we hold on to that, and we keep paying attention. We pick up the story in verse 35 of chapter 11. It says this, Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. For it will still come at the appointed time. If you, get, if you have your Bible there, you can underline until the time of the end. It seems to be speaking of a future time. At the appointed time. He's, the author uses this over and over to point to this, this time at the end. Now, up to this point, Scholars and theologians don't really argue about the prophecies and what they meant. It's pretty obvious. But for some reason in verse 35 and 36, there's this pivot point. There's this tipping point. Some theologians think it still speaks about that Antiochus figure, that they're going to continue to say really harsh things about this, this figure, and they think it's Antiochus. But many theologians, many conservative theologians think this is where the passage transitions. Some think it's even where chapter 12 should start and speaks of the Antichrist. And my favorite theologian, Robert Cup, says the latter, and so we'll stick with his 
opinion. Look at verse 36 with me. The king will do as he pleases. Is it speaking of Antiochus or is it speaking of the Antichrist? He will exalt and, and magnify himself above every God. Antiochus didn't do that. He thought a lot of himself, but, but he still, he, he elevated his God, Zeus, and will say and heard of things against the God of gods. He did that. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. No, Antiochus, if that's the end time, that wouldn't be true of him. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the God of his ancestors. That's not true of Antiochus. For, or for the one desired by women, nor will he show any regard, any God, but will exalt himself above them all. It's not true some of these things are true of that earthly leader, but not all of them. But I want to read this again, and I want you to think of the Antichrist as I read this. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will say and heard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but he will exalt himself above them all. This Antichrist figure is spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. You may remember we talked about him as the little horn. He's spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, which we haven't looked at yet, but we will, the ruler who will come. He's spoken of as the man of lawlessness in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's spoken of as the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2 and as the beast in Revelation. You see, something's going on here and it's not gonna be good, but it's for a time. And then we pick up the study in verse 45, continuing about this Antichrist figure. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain he will come to his end and no one will help him. You see, he will, he will set up his command between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea at the mountain of Zion, which if you've been to Jerusalem, you know is the Temple Mount. It's the place where the, the, the Muslim holy uh, place of the Dome of the Rock currently sits. Maybe you've seen it on TV, that the Wailing Wall, that's actually the, the foundation for the Temple Mount. And that's gonna be a place of importance in the time of the end. Well, we've looked at a disturbing vision, haven't we? It's kind of hard to understand. We've looked at this earthly reality of the, the detailed prophecies that are fulfilled both in the near time and it seems to be in the far time. But I want us to look at one more thing, this eternal destiny. As we turn into chapter 12, I want you to see thing, something. I think it's gonna, it's gonna challenge you, but it's gonna give you great hope. Look at verse one. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Three important things you need to know from here. Michael seems to be a guardian angel for God's people, specifically the nation of Israel. He, he's talked about as a very powerful angel, but he comes to protect the people. There will be a time of incredible distress. We know it as the tribulation. It's gonna be very hard. It's a time that's close to the end. But at that time, 
at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Amen? Amen. You know, Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, which we haven't looked at yet, it speaks of this, this idea of these sevens. And, and many Bible scholars think that's a seven-year period, and, and they think the tribulation will, will be that seven-year period. And I want you to look at a couple of those uh, numbers with me real quick. But before we do that, I want you to look at verse two because I think, I think it'll give you incredible hope. It says this, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now this is the first time I think in the scriptures it speaks of eternity. And what you need to know is all of humanity will go on forever. All of humanity will go on forever, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And if you're here today and you are not a believer in Christ or maybe you're not sure, maybe you're just confused, you're in the right place and we would love to process this with you. I invite you to our prayer room. The Campbells are there. They would love just to put their arms around you and pray with you and encourage you. And I think it'd be important for you to pray about this and look, what does it mean to have everlasting life. And here's, how, here's how, what we would say. If, if the Bible's true, Romans chapter six says, for the penalty of sin is death. So everyone who sinned will die. But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And our role in that is just accepting it. But to accept it, you have to believe that the gift is real, it's true, it exists. Daniel chapter seven, or verse seven says this, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. And then if you're a little confused this morning, find comfort in Daniel's words. I heard, but I did not understand. This is the author. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome be? It continues on. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. This doesn't mean they're, they're put away. It means they're preserved. You see, they, they make some sense to Daniel. They make more sense to us. And in the last days, they'll make incredible sense. They'll actually be, provide incredible comfort. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How much time does that add up to be? Approximately three and a half years. That time, times, and half a time seems to be the same Yes, that, that would be half of a seven-year period that, that they think that the, the abomination that causes desolation will, will happen halfway into the tribulation. That second half will be really difficult time for God's people. It'd be challenging. It'd be, it'd be difficult for all people. But here's what we know. For those who believe in Christ, 
you will be headed towards everlasting life. And that should give you incredible comfort. If you're here today and you don't have faith, we would love to be your faith family. We'd love for you to take a step into the family. We would love to process with you what it looks like to have faith. For all of us, here's what we need to understand from Daniel chapter 10 through 12. Spiritual forces, they're at work all around. Earthly kingdoms, they'll rise and they'll fall, but God is sovereign over all. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for it, even when it's difficult to understand. Lord, I pray that you would just move in all of our hearts this morning. Lord, what do we need to learn? Lord, I pray that this would would reorient us as focused on you. Lord, regardless of what's happening in the world, regardless of what's happening in our life, you are sovereign. And you created each and every person in here with a purpose. You intricately wove us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, we have incredible purpose and and we'll live forever, either in everlasting life or in everlasting contempt and death. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears these words, eyes will be opened and will follow you. Lord, I pray that this will be incredibly encouraging for all of us. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be The clouds be rolled back as the
dismissed to love and serve the Lord this week. Go in the grace and peace that he gives. In Jesus' name.